The Love Good Podcast is brought to you by our patrons. As they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow. Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com. Welcome to the Love Good Podcast. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. You're tuning in to Season 1, Episode 20. I can hardly believe that we are already on Episode 20. Like, it's just been the most amazing adventure these last six, seven months, getting this podcast out there, having so many of you listening from continents all over the world. Uh, this particular episode is brought to you by Life These are some really, really good friends of ours. I have the privilege of speaking at many of their conferences and camps all throughout the summer. In fact, just a few weeks ago, I was with the president of Life Teen, Randy Rouse, in Montserrat, Spain. We were staying at a monastery that is a thousand years old, tucked away in the beautiful Spanish Pyrenees Mountains. And we had the privilege of getting to, to spend a long weekend with youth ministers and with people who are involved in the life of the church from all over Europe. And if you're looking for resources, training, support, events in any way to take your youth programs or just your own young people in the community that you exist in to the next level, you got to go check out lifeteen.com. They're absolutely amazing, and they're very dear friends of ours. This is a really special episode. We're going to be sitting down, as always, beforehand with my co-host, Jenea Trudell. We talk about the importance and even the power of vulnerability. I must say that's not a comfortable conversation for me, but Jenea, as always, she killed it. This is also a really exciting episode because after that, I'll be sitting down with one of my favorite living novelists. Her name is Corinna Turner. In fact, this interview was recorded on Easter Sunday. I was literally driving west across the country of England as she was driving north, both of us on our way to some really cool family roast dinners. And we just happened to find a rest stop. It's a little bit noisy. And we literally sat down at a coffee shop and 30 minutes later, we were out of there. It's all we had time for, but it was the most amazing conversation with somebody who is a brilliant creative, uh, somebody who has created the entire world of some of her fiction series. The one that I've just finished myself is called I Am Margaret. And it's just a real joy to sit down with somebody who I would actually call a a bit of a hero, Uh, certainly somebody I look up to and respect so much. And she's the first novelist we've ever had the honor of interviewing on the Love Good podcast. So stay tuned for Corinna Turner. We can't thank you enough for following this movement, for being a part of this movement, really for standing on the front lines of what we believe uh, is something that can change the world. You know, bringing beauty to the forefront of our lives, the forefront of our media, and obviously the forefront of our culture as well. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Thank you. 
You're listening to Iron Knees off of the Half Captive EP by Michelle Mandico, available exclusively on iTunes and lovegoodculture.com. Welcome back to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell, sitting down as always with my trusted co-host, <laughs> Jenea Trudell. Hello, everyone. How you doing, Jenea? Great. Yeah, so good. Good to be back. Sipping on your hot tea over there mm-hmm. with your cream and Almost sugar. Done. Yes. You guys call it cream, milk, what's your... Yeah, uh, yeah, they're the same thing up there. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, because in England, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's not. I get in trouble it's all not. the time. It's not. I know it's not. Yeah. Yeah, they don't, you, they don't put cream in... Well, they put milk. The, milk, yeah, yeah. It's not the same, though. Yeah. Yeah, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of things over there that aren't the same, and I have to say, most of me likes it, <laughs> you know? Uh, there's this thing called apple crisp. You ever had that with custard? Sometimes it's called apple crumble in my brain. I'm not sure which it actually is in reality, but I always mess it up. It's like everything an apple pie wants to be with this warm, gooey custard on top. You're just not sure oh, what I'm talking no. about. I no. mean, like we have, I, I've had apple crisp, but we make that at home, but it doesn't sound like the same thing. Yeah, no. Huh. This is, this is going to blow your mind um, <laughs> the day that you finally intake partake. it, partake, <laughs> whatever the word is. So here we are today. We're only a few episodes away from the end of season one, which means we're only a few weeks away from saying goodbye to you. And that Mm. is sad. But we're going to chat about something that I have a feeling will come a lot more naturally to you than to me. And that is vulnerability. Why in the world did you want to talk about vulnerability? (laughs) I I think it's, why would it be more natural to me? I don't know because you're like sensitive and you've got like a feminine genius and oh the genius yeah oh well yeah thanks. vulnerability is not a natural thing for me uh, and I'm assuming that's true of most men most because men, yeah. you got to really pull it out of us most of the time yeah hmm that's true I guess um, vulnerability I mean yeah. you described it as a remedy a for, remedy for plagues for plagues plagues for of sorts for the plague for certain <laughs> plagues I think if I was to pinpoint at least in the in the world of culture and even relationship nowadays, uh, growing up in the the world that I am, it would be an overarching sentimentalism, uh, which sounds pretty harmless in itself. Um, feel like just nice, nice things, emotion, like those are not inherently bad. Um, but what I'm talking about is this uh, a, a shallow reflection. That's being kind of taken as the only thing mm. that matters, and and that's what what um, is in need of remedy. <laughs> yeah, it, to me. Um, we were just talking a few moments ago how often I build my life around the next emotional encounter, right? Like I I, mm. I want to feel everything deeply, really to a fault, and I I sometimes care more about how I feel than whether or not something is real mm. or true. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a real struggle. I, on the other spectrum, fight. I fight to live as though I feel as deeply as I feel like I should. <laughs> I fight to. Um, I so I rarely feel what I think my actions should make me feel. <laughs> Jeanette, that is complicated. I'm trying to understand what you just said. It's so, basically, no. It's it's just like I think it's just a personality thing, and both are a part of the. The journey, but I, yeah, like things I, I know I should love, for instance, I feel love, obviously, but bravery, you know, even the simple uh, uh, action of, of moving down here demanded a lot of bravery that I definitely did not wait to feel before I just did it. <laughs> I think that's, it's more of like a, a, 
I have to um, appeal to my will a lot and use that, mm. not force myself to do things that I, I'm not like a numb, like I, I feel very, very deeply, but I'm not, I'm not one to be constantly um, kind of led by that part of me. My emotions, they're pretty, pretty quiet, very deep, like hidden. Yeah. Um, so something like vulnerability would be a constant sort of stretching. Yeah, for and sure. And definitely outside the comfort zone. Yeah. So sorry for putting you in a category of all women hood <laughs> having this ease with being vulnerable. No, Maybe it's, it's just like a, a, a human struggle. I think so. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely there is a genius to women about having a an eye on the heart of things pretty naturally at a very young age actually. Whereas we as women encounter weakness very early on in, in life, um, especially during those formative years in the teens when all of a sudden all the guys are becoming invincible overnight, like strength and mm. like they're massive and they're strong and they can do anything. Um, and they feel like they'll live forever. And, and we kind of had this, um, encounter with, with weakness really. And, and littleness, um, that, th- that throws us off, but also instills this, this deeper knowledge that I think it takes men, a, a while to fight for and to discover. And that's why we're so comp- complimentary is because, um, men that the, they know they're strong and they can do anything we can, we can as well, but we're also very aware of, um, the fact that we, we don't, we can't fix everything all the time and we can't, you know, save people or the world in, in one big stride. And there's such value in, in understanding that at a young age. So we kind of like, pull each other a little bit and meet in the middle. Um, but yeah, I think, I think just a deep sensitivity, um, to the things of the, of the world and to suffering and, and love. It demands vulnerability in us. Um, but yeah, I've never been one to, to, uh, wear my heart on my sleeve naturally. That's, that's more, uh, not, not a chore for me, but it definitely, uh, to make sure that my relationships are fruitful and they're deep and I'm letting myself be seen is a constant, like moment by moment sort of action that I take mm-hmm. internally. And, um, and I know for a lot of women and men alike, it's, it's not, it's not that way. So that's, that's just me, but, but still, I think it's, um, vulnerability is, is a, even if someone is very naturally, emotional and and like very transparent that I love people who are so natural about that um it's so refreshing for me um there can even be a a temptation to stay on the surface in those moments and um and to not because vulnerability is Hmm. um it's not just letting people see you know like what's floating on the surface it's it's kind of hearkening to the the deeper movements in, in someone um so I think it's in a world where, where sentimentalism is kind of running its course and is totally permeating, like even even relationships and friendships, technology plays a big role in that. But still, like we've forgotten how to let ourselves be seen really by others. We've definitely began to forget how to allow ourselves to be seen and to give of ourselves in that way. Now, not only to be seen, but... To even be weak, I suppose that mm-hmm. might be part of the, you know, psychological struggle that I would have with being vulnerable is it implies some weakness. Mm-hmm. You know, I just got off the phone this morning with a really good friend of mine who has cerebral palsy and it was really, really cool catching up with him. He's one of the most kind, 
generous, affectionate, easy to be around people you'll ever meet. Mm -hmm. I mean, he'll, he'll hug you as long as you let him, you know, (laughs) and he's also got this really profound insight into the things that really matter. I mean, this guy has a real prayer life and a real love for friends and for family, even though there's a lot of brokenness in his life and a lot of struggle, even beyond his physical condition, there's just a lot of brokenness. But he seems to have no trouble being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And as you were saying, sometimes the easy thing is to not actually open up in those moments. And I found myself just taking it in, like really just drinking in his joys and his struggles over the phone. And I realized here's somebody who is so aware of his own limitation and his own weakness that he's even now reached a point where he knows how to, how to give from that place. Mm-hmm. And with that actually comes this tremendous strength, this, this definite vulnerability and this constancy. You know, his eye, as you put it, is always on the heart of things, the things that really matter. And uh, I find that to just be incredibly inspiring. And uh, it's just so easy to build my own kind of psyche around my strengths and Mm -hmm. around the things I'm really good at and the ways that I can cover myself up or at least cover my weaknesses up from the world. And um, I don't know, it's just easier to have walls. Yeah. You know, it's easier to not let people in. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. And and comfort in all of its forms, I think, builds those walls. And I'm not saying to intentionally seek out being miserable or uncomfortable. Obviously not. You always, always are in pursuit of of joy, really. Um, But weakness, all of us are weak, whether we choose to acknowledge it or not. (laughs) Um, And it doesn't need to be a, um, uh, this despairing thought. Um, It's actually, like you were saying um, about your friend, it's, it becomes, what our weakness breaks open in us, like it, it kind of stretches open this capacity in us for love and, and to give and receive um, in a way that we, we actually cannot access unless we are acknowledging um, that we're small and that we are, that, but that, that's where our strength lies at, this, at the same time. So many people in my life, and I'm sure I've been this way, when I'm like really confident in a super good place um, and uh, am leaning a little too much on my own gusto, uh, I become radically inaccessible to the people around me somehow. Even though I feel awesome, I climb up to a tower and and I don't come back down to the earth to meet the people who are there. And so I don't live in, like I don't want to live in this, doesn't mean to live in this constant state of like, oh, woe is me. I'm so incapable. Like, no, no, no. It's, it's the exact, um, it's, it's our weakness that makes us most, most capable. Cause it's, it's, it's the pain of that. Um, and our suffering and our limitations that breaks open the space in us to love and give in the way that, that we should. Um, and that, just shatters any sentimentalism that creeps into any relationship or to the culture or art. Um, we see that with, with musicians. I was just talking to uh, one of the apprentices a few minutes ago about how different it is um, to encounter one, mus- one, one album to the next and how one is just like a nice picture to look at and how one is a deep encounter with the person. And I just, I think that vulnerability is the key. It's not just about self-expression. It's about 
welcoming someone into that and uh, letting them letting them see you. It demands a lot of bravery. So That's I think it's great. worth it. It's <laughs> great. You've definitely, for me today, reminded me of the importance of vulnerability, not just in uh, great art, great music, media. They're always talking about here at Love Good, but even in the day-to-day human interactions. I'm, I'm not sure I would have even thought about my conversation uh, in that light until we talked about it now, the conversation I had with my good friend this morning. So yes, vulnerability is good and it is a human thing uh, that actually allows for weakness to become strength and for uh, you know that willingness to be real that leads to encounter and as you even put it, accessibility. And uh, it's just not a, an easy place or a comfortable place to be when in fact I just prefer being the superhero. Mm. So <laughs> Jenea, as always, thank you. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Jimmy. We'll see you next time. Everyone was laughing I could call and just say hey And tell you about Nashville And all the steps I've made Now and then I wonder what I'm doing with my time Seems that I keep running from what's keeping me alive Cause life is short and time is always past Love is everlasting Love is You're listening to Love is Everlasting by Nick Fabian, a free single off of the brand new Love Good Sampler available at lovegoodculture.com slash free. Well, this is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Welcome back to the Love Good Podcast. We're sitting down with Corinna Turner right now, actually at a beautiful services station or what we would call a rest stop in Wolverhampton, England. Corinna, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Lovely to be here. So happy that you're here. This is a little crazy, right? We're we're recording this on Easter Sunday morning. We are both on our way to some very English roasts, some Easter dinners, and yet we found this moment to uh, come together and uh, just kind of get to know each other first in friendship, but... What a lot of people aren't going to know is that you are one of my newest and most favorite authors. And so it is such a privilege for me to be sitting down with you right now. Um, tell me a little bit just of your story. Where, where, what part of England do you come from? And when did you start writing? Uh, what influences have you had in your life, both family and mentors who have inspired you to become what I would say one of the, one of the finest new novelists that I've come across in a long, long time? Okay, uh, well, I come from the Cotswolds, which is uh, a very beautiful part of England. Born and raised there. I've been writing since I was 14. A teacher asked us to write a short story. I wrote 34 pages. She gave up marking the story after page 8. And I quickly decided I wanted to write it up into a full-length novel. So, first novel at 14, it was really not worth looking at, but anyway... And I've been writing ever since then. And since about 2009, 
I've uh, been putting a lot more faith into my writing because it was feeling unnatural not to. Uh, but I just write it the same way I'd write anything. Um, it's pretty amazing. I discovered you through some mutual friends uh, who are actually from Stratford-upon-Avon, so Shakespeare's town. And these friends actually happen to be twins who are about half my age. And so when they insisted that I read a series called I Am Margaret, at first I didn't know what to think. Uh, and then I started to, to do my research only to find out that, in fact, everything that you write about, especially in I Am Margaret, this kind of, dare I call it, an apocalyptic dystopia, you know, it just, it is exactly the kind of reading I love to do, especially for fun. And I'm just curious, I, I stand in awe of artists and creatives, and maybe most especially people who write great literature and fiction. Where does the process begin for you? At, at what point do you realize you, you have a story to tell? Where do you begin and how do you know you're done? It just it amazes me that you've written a four-part saga that uh, could be read by, who knows, thousands, millions of people forever. It's a seven-part saga. I'm not even, six-part saga, right? Seven soon. Oh, seven soon. That's so exciting. So tell us about the creative process for you. Well, um, I get the ideas for books from different, in different ways. They don't always come exactly the same way. I am Margaret. I actually had the idea when I was, well, I had it in a dream when I was on retreat. And I had the basic idea and it very quickly over the next couple of days sort of grew into the, into the main structure of the first book. And I started to write that. Uh, most of the time I was writing book one, I had the first three books in my head. And then towards the end of, um, Later on in writing book three, book four uh, came into being, largely because a particular character said, no, I'm not done. Uh, my story is not done. Keep writing. Um, plus, it wasn't really the end of the story. So uh, book four, which uh, is very happy. How do you do it? How do you create this whole world that the rest of us can feel so connected to? It really feels like the world kind of creates itself. It's more like... The characters just sort of are themselves, you know, in, in my head. Um, and sometimes, char sometimes characters misbehave um, and they're supposed to do one thing and then they do something else um, and you can get quite frustrated with them. And, you know, I, I had two characters in a, in a series that I'm writing at the moment and the, they started off, uh, they were supposed to be doing one thing, their sort of purpose in the story was one thing. And uh, one after another, they, they decided they were going to do something else completely. Um, Probably the worst case I've ever had of Kurt just misbehaving like that. Wow. I mean, I really mean <laughs> it when I say I've lost many hours of sleep reading your books. And I think it is because you, you allow these characters to take on a life of their own. And these stories, uh, they really captivate me in, in a way that, that makes me want to be more heroic, wants to be more sacrificial. And even just recognizing my own brokenness in the brokenness of those characters. You know, what are some of the hopes that you have for your readers, for the, for the young people, for um, those who are older, those in all different continents and states of life who come across your books? What do you want them to take home at the end of a book, at the end of a series? Because I can say I felt more human at the end of I Am Margaret in the same way that I felt more human at the end of Lord of the Rings or any of Michael D. O'Brien's novels, I, it helps me tap into the human experience in a really profound way. Um, but, w but what is your hope sitting down as a writer? I think I hope that they will take away from it that it's 
it's worth having the courage to live what you believe. Um, and it's worth it, even when it's difficult. Yeah. At this particular moment, you know, where, I mean, do you, do you see that there's a, a renewal happening right now in the same way that we might have seen in Flannery O'Connor and Evelyn Vaugh? Or do you feel actually a bit like you're out on the frontier alone right now? I think in the UK, I'm a bit out on the frontier, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but in America, um, I think there are quite a lot of writers of um, fiction for young adults who are trying to sort of write stuff that's genuinely exciting, that's genuinely inspiring. Um, for example, I'm part of a group called um, Catholic Teen Books, where there's um, it's about 12 of us now, and we're all sort of committed to writing really good, exciting fiction that's also deeply moving and inspiring and challenging. Um, so I think there is a bit of a revival starting. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. Are there any other authors that you've loved down through the years? You know, I, I have a friend who had such a charmed childhood. You almost imagine every day, you know, largely homeschooled that most of her life. Uh, you could just imagine her like sitting perched in a tree reading Mark Twain. Like that would just be my image of her at age 11 or 12. Um, was that you as a girl? Were you reading the classics? Were you inspired by the, the great writers of the past? Um, or did this all kind of come out of nowhere? Well, I did read an awful lot when I was younger. Um, I went through a phase of reading classics. I actually read the whole of um, Les Miserables about three times. Wow. Um, then I kind of lost the knack of reading <laughs> long, long classics. Um, I read fantasy quite a long time. So more recently, I've been discovering what's out there, and it's uh, it's some good stuff out there nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I liked Robert Louis Stevenson a lot. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I do get the sense that you're a bit of a pioneer, as I think anybody in the creative world that actually roots their creativity in something bigger than themselves in your case, your faith. I mean, that is not the norm in today's world. We are back on the Love Good Podcast with Jessamine Anderson. I'm finally back in the country. <laughs> We're in person together again. Jessamine, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Really good. Thanks for holding on the fort during my absence. Oh, I was so exhausting. No, I'm fine. Everything was good. I'm glad you guys had such a great time in Europe. I really think somewhere maybe in your hidden life or maybe just in your nighttime hours, you're, like, <laughs> you're Wonder Woman, aren't you? I mean, don't make me pull out my Wonder Woman outfit, okay? <laughs> yeah, I would be a little bit. Um, frightened. And actually, I'd probably start running because you could kick my butt. <laughs> I mean, I'm probably good, let's be honest. Yeah, this is really, really good. I mean, one of the things that is such a joy for me is uh, is to see how even something as simple as our podcast can touch people all over the world. I mean, being in Europe and seeing how many listeners we have over there was really inspiring for me. Mm -hmm. Well, it's been really cool to um to have like these big names in here, people like for King and Country and Chris Allen and Dave Barnes. But the coolest thing about having those people in the studio is just to recognize that we are all human and we all suffer and we all celebrate and we all go through 
a lot of the same things. It just so happens that people, certain people are called to live that life in front of a a larger audience. So no matter how many Instagram followers you have, you need to find out who am I? What am I being called to? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And uh, learn how to love where you are and become the person you're supposed to be. It's so true, Jessamine. And one of the things that this podcast really inspires me to do more is elevate my conversation and just talk about the things that really matter. Mm -hmm. It's so great. And it helps us to really recognize more of who we are when we're focusing on important things. That's right. So for all those listeners out there who have not yet shared this podcast on their social media, perhaps even just uh, given a little bit of a a personal invitation to lovegoodculture.com slash podcast, Uh, know that that goes a long way in helping us spread the word. You guys are amazing. Jessamine, you're amazing. We'll see you next week. Bye, Jimmy. You know, one of the things that blew me away, and I am Margaret, is the way that you would sneak in all of these profoundly theological truths. Is that something intentional, or does that just overflow from from who you are? Be- being able to integrate so seemingly easily your your faith and your craft, your your, your prayer, for example, and your creativity. I think it's more that um, previous to writing I Am Margaret, I felt like I was actually actively holding most of that out of my writing because I was writing for the mainstream and I knew that certainly um, in the UK, anything, practically anything like that would make people go, oh, oh, this is, this is polemical, this is... Right. This is uh, Didactic. This is trying to convert me, and people would just be turned off. So I was, I was sort of physically holding out of my work, and then I just got fed up. I thought this is just unnatural. I'm just not doing this anymore. I'm just going to let it in. So that's uh, how I wrote I Am Margaret. So yes, it just comes nat- naturally, integrally into the um, into the story. It's, yeah, it's yeah. so cool. I, I think it is such an important way to live the faith in this particular era because it allows people to be captivated first and then you can explain things to them later. You know, I, I think if you were to, to go any other way, it, it, you're right, it might turn people off or they might resist. And I think this is such an invitational way to go about writing great fiction. Um, tell us a little bit about Elfling. This is gonna be an exciting moment. You just released this a week ago, brand new book called Elfling. I, I went ahead and bought it on Kindle the day you told me about it, but. I haven't, I haven't started it yet, I must confess. Um, I'm nervous because I know I'm going to lose sleep as soon as I start one of your books. So I'm waiting for my 12-hour uh, plane ride on Tuesday back home to the States. But uh, tell us a little bit about this new book and um, maybe without, you know, uh, giving away too many secrets, what are the things we can expect in Elfling? Yeah, Elfling is um, quite an old book that's been through uh, three major revisions, mostly of the second half. I actually wrote it when I was at university, so this book is over a decade old. Um, I wrote it, it's set in what I always sort of call pseudo-Elizabethan England. Um, I was um, Protestant when I wrote it, and then um, I became Catholic sometime afterwards, and I looked at Elfling and I went, oh, they didn't have a reformation in Elfling. So it's kind of Elizabethan England if it was Catholic, which is quite cool. Um, And... It's got very strong um, moral themes in it. Uh, Main themes in the book are um, second chances, redemption, uh, who deserves a second chance, basically. Um, So, yeah, those are the themes. It's about um, 
a teenage girl. Uh, she's been living on the streets of London since she was nine. Her uncle threw her out of the house after her mother died. And she's been looking for her father this whole time because her mother told her on her deathbed, uh, go to the Duke of Albany and he will look after you and gave her a ring to show the man. So she assumes this must be her father and she's been looking for him, but she hasn't found him. She's now bringing the book. She's um, 12 or 13. And uh, yeah, I don't want to say too much, but wow. giving things away, yeah. It's interesting. There are two themes that I'm hearing as you talk about Elflin that I also picked up in I Am Margaret. And one is the feminine genius. Uh, you have an incredible ability to develop um, your main character as a heroic female that you cannot help but love and be inspired by. And frankly, we just don't have enough of that in today's world. So uh, I'd love to hear just a little bit about what inspires that. But then also you talk about second chances and redemption. I mean, even in reading I Am Margaret, there are so many profound moments where mercy and forgiveness are brought to the forefront of a dialogue, the forefront of a scene and um, it just forces me to reconsider everything. It's almost like an examination of conscience, hearing these moments of mercy unfold, watching them unfold in your books because I realize there is still so much uh, twisted and, and unforgiving um, corners in my own soul, you know? So just if you could comment briefly on the feminine genius and mercy, these must be threads in your own life too because they come out beautifully in your books. I'm not really quite sure what to say about the feminine genius, but um, I just try to write um, female characters that are feminine but, and are strong, <laughs> but that aren't trying to be men because so they're good. not men, they're, they're women. And you can, women can be strong without being exactly like a man. You know, it's kind of a, it used to be a compliment in the old days to say that a woman was like a man, but that's kind of a false way of looking at it. A woman can be strong like a woman. So yeah. that's kind of what I try to do. What can I say about mercy? Well, it's incredibly important. So I think that's why it gets in there a lot because yeah, we need, we need forgiveness. People hold grudges too much. Obviously this is the question I'm sure most series authors get asked, but is there more? I mean, is, is Seven going to be the cap on I Am Margaret or do you even know at this point? Well, I mean, it, you can't say what you don't know. So I can't be certain. Um, I do have in my head a, a novella, um, long, longer than Brothers, but a bit shorter than um, any of the main books, which is actually about Luke. And I'm not going to say who Luke is because it's a massive spoiler for the whole series, which takes place, you know, quite a while after. And I hope I will write that at some point um, in the next year or so. And then there's a few, a few more short stories and I'm planning to release um, a short story collection when I, when I think I've written all the short stories, which again will hopefully be in the next year or so. Because um, I often get these little short stories that just sort of tie in with the books, which, you know, I, and I, I uh, give them to my email subscribers usually um, for free, but I'm going to collect them up in a book for people who don't want to get emails. So. It's very Star Wars of you. I mean, they're always talking about some <laughs> tangential, beautiful side story that somehow relates back to the main thing. I mean, you have really created a world, and I, I know that there are many of us who are deeply grateful and, and better for it. And uh, I think it'd be really nice for people to know how can people best get behind 
Corinna Turner and rally behind all your efforts? Yeah, well, um, buying the books, <laughs> I'm afraid one of the easiest ways. And um, if you like them, to leave reviews and to tell people about them, because um, word of mouth and reviews are very important in helping people to choose what they're going to read. So, you know, don't underestimate how much it helps to just spend a few minutes just to leave a review or just say to your friend, I read this, this book, I really enjoyed it. Um, or give them as gifts. Um, and uh, you can like my page on Facebook. <laughs> I think I had three people in the last week who have bought your book just on a recommendation alone. So I do think you're right. It is a powerful thing to just refer people uh, and to let them know that this is a great book, a great author, a great series in the case of I Am Margaret. And it really has... Um, brought out the best in me and also exposed in some ways the worst in me and in, in that I'm grateful because at the end of the day the, the, the theme that resonates most deeply in your writing for me Corinna is mercy that there is always hope and that there is always um, as you put it a second chance so uh, just on behalf of everybody who cares about literature who cares about culture who wants to to build a world that they'd be proud to raise their kids in. I just want to say thank you because you are helping that become more and more of a possibility for people. And again, this has just been a total privilege, so I really can't wait uh, to sit down again, maybe not at a services station in Wolverhampton next time. We'll find a quieter place, but just know how deeply grateful I am for your work, for your witness, and for your time today. It's been lovely to meet you. <laughs> Listening to Himalayas by Scott Mulvihill off of his debut EP, Top of the Stairs. We released that exclusively to our patrons back in September before it hit anywhere else. It's now available exclusively on iTunes. Y'all, I can't thank you enough for listening to this episode. I just can't tell you how special it was to sit down with Corinna. Such a flash-in-the-pan kind of moment where we got connected by a mutual friend. Next thing you know, I'm sitting down having coffee with one of my living heroes. Just an absolute joy. Uh, I've got a really exciting announcement that actually next week we're going to have an old friend on the podcast, somebody that I've known just over 10 years. She was on one of our earlier 
pre-season interview archives. The one and only Audrey Assad will be back on the Love Good Podcast. We'll be sitting down to really just talk about a lot of the woundedness, the suffering that she has undergone, especially kind of on a psychological and emotional level, spiritual even, over the last few years and the healing that she has found and the beautiful, beautiful album, Evergreen, that she has released. It is very much a, a glimpse into that process of healing for Audrey. So definitely tune in next week. We've only got two more episodes this season, and then we'll do a handful of bonus episodes over the course of the summer. The other thing that you really should keep in mind is we are constantly on the road right now. In fact, we have our Firesides tour that have just uh, launched all over the weekend um, in Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., Steubenville, Ohio, and in the next few weeks, we'll be in Birmingham, Alabama. We'll be in Atlanta, Georgia, Pensacola, Florida, all the way as far west as Wichita, Kansas, St. Louis, Cape Girardeau, Missouri. It's just going to be a really exciting month of love good, being on the road, being in your homes, your living rooms even, your backyards, and really cool venues all over the Midwest and Southeast. So check out Love Good Culture to stay in touch with that. Come back to listen to next week's episode with Audrey Asa. Know that we're praying for you guys. We love you. And we can't thank you enough for being on the front lines of building a better culture. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Stay in touch on social media. And be sure to stop by iTunes or Stitcher to give us a review. Massive thanks to all of our patrons who make this podcast possible. As they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow. Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com.